from the corner of 16th and Peachtree Street, right next to the High Museum of Art in Midtown Atlanta. Welcome to the First Presbyterian Church. I'm Senior Pastor Tony Sundermeyer, and I want to thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. And I would invite you now to join us in the worship of God. Listen for the word of God as it comes to us through Psalm 29. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory of his name. Worship the Lord in holy splendor. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness, wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord causes the oaks to whirl and strips the forest bare, and in his temple all say glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. This is the word of the Lord. Our New Testament lesson comes from John's Gospel, chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. I invite you to follow along on page 88 in the New Testament of your pew Bibles. Hear again God's word. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, You must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who was born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly I tell you. We speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. This, too, is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be with us in this space. Move in us and through us and change us through your word. Amen. If we were to take a survey and to try to identify the single best-known verse in the Bible, what do you think it would be? That was a gimme because we just read it a few minutes ago. John 3.16. Now, I don't have a survey or a, a citation to support that, but I think that's probably what it would be. That verse that says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but may have eternal life. This verse is popular so to speak, I think for a couple of reasons. And the first is the right one. It's because this is a statement from the mouth of Jesus Christ about who God is and what God does. Our God is a God of love who chooses to live eternally with us. The sentence captures the very essence of God. And so it is one that we should know. But I think there's another reason this verse might come quickly to mind, and that's because there's so much stuff. There's so many products that say John 3.16 in our culture. It's been made into all kinds of things. It's been used in all kinds of places. Have you seen it? Nod your head if you've seen it somewhere. If not, I'm going to tell you where. There are those rubber bracelets that people wear around. There are t-shirts. There are posters. There are signs in the stands at sports events and some even on players' uniforms sometimes. There are bumper stickers, little car decals or magnets that go on the back window of your car. I was behind one recently in traffic. Maybe you've seen one of these. They're just a little small oval, and all it says is 3 colon 16. It's a bit of a code just to put the numbers on the back of your car. Not John 3.16, mind you, but just 3.16. Think about it. Of all the many words that are essential to our faith, this chapter and verse have been pulled out of John's gospel and put up all around. Now, I want to be clear that there are good reasons for doing that. For some people, holding up a poster at a game that says 316 might be meant as an invitation to others. One person started doing that, holding up a poster that says John 316 at football games when they started to put football games on television more than 30 years ago. He said he was trying to capitalize on this wider audience to spread the gospel message to more people. So nowadays, maybe that little car magnet is meant to make someone curious So they'll look up what 316 means, probably on their phones while in traffic, if we're honest. Hopefully some uses of this verse are actually to bring the good news to the world, to share the loving nature of God. 
And hopefully some of this John 3.16 memorabilia is meant as a humbling reminder to the person who buys it to reach back to the God who keeps reaching out for us. But whenever we pull a verse, any verse, out of its context, whenever our culture uses the Bible to sell stuff, we're right to look behind the products and ask what our motivation is for buying them. Now I suspect that a sign at a football game doesn't often lead to a life of discipleship to someone asking what it means to worship a loving God or what a Christian's faithful response to that love should be. I suspect that a car magnet doesn't often change someone's decision about how they'll live that day. Instead, as with anything from the Bible that we mass market, even John 3.16 can be used not to humbly share the gospel, but as a kind of marker, a marker of status or identity. I suspect that some of those bracelets and some of those t-shirts and car magnets and signs in the stadium are put there to help us feel good about ourselves. I suspect that they draw a circle to identify some people as insiders to say, I'm a Christian, and if you get what 3 colon 16 means, then we're in the same circle. And by implication, if you don't get this code, You're outside the circle, a kind of we have Jesus and you need Jesus dividing line. Like any visible label we put on ourselves, we sometimes use this one not to confess our faith in a Lord that saves, but as a way to draw attention to ourselves, to say, look what I know, look at my deep faith. It can easily become a badge just like any other badge that projects our status to the world. Now, there obviously were no stickers or shirts or gospel swag in the first century, and car magnets we see around town really aren't even the point. They're just an example of all kinds of products and labels we use to position ourselves in relation to other people. We humans like to label ourselves especially when we can use a label that shows people that we are right and good, that we have some answers. And let's be honest, when we think we have answers, we like to tell other people what to do. When John 3.16 is used in culture, it's almost never in its greater context. But in its context, as we just heard, it's a lesson from Jesus about not standing on our own knowledge, but coming to God ready to be changed. Now, just before the passage I read a few minutes ago, Jesus has been performing miracles. And he knew that some people only believed in him because of these signs that he'd been doing. You've heard the phrase, seeing is believing. Well, some people saw Jesus do things that they hadn't thought were possible. And based on that alone, they were ready to profess their faith. Now, that doesn't actually sound so bad, does it? Except that John's gospel makes it clear to us that that is a superficial kind of faith. It isn't enough to join up without knowing Jesus and even more importantly, reordering our lives 
to align with Jesus's reordering of the world. Now, Jesus knew which people were seeking a new life and which ones were simply drawing the line of the believer circle around themselves, and he wasn't fooled by them. That's the background to our lesson today, this lesson that includes that most popular verse, John 3.16. Jesus is approached by a Pharisee named Nicodemus. Now, Nicodemus is one of these people. He's seen Jesus' signs or miracles, and he comes to Jesus at night and basically starts to tell Jesus what he already knows about Jesus. He says, you're a teacher who's come from God, and no one could have done these signs apart from God. Again, that sounds right, doesn't it? Jesus has done miracles. They do demonstrate that he's God. But Jesus knows that Nicodemus hasn't come seeking a deeper faith, ready to learn or to be changed. No, he's come to show Jesus how much he knows. So Nicodemus comes feeling good about his own status. In his mind, he already understands what Jesus is about. He's already inside that circle with Jesus. And in fact, he's a teacher of Israel. So he's already telling others what they should be doing. Metaphorically speaking, Nicodemus is holding up a sign that says, look at what I know. Look at my deep faith. But Jesus breaks down that certainty. Instead of agreeing with him, he tells them that no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. In other words, your knowledge isn't enough. You need to be born in the spirit to enter God's kingdom. But Nicodemus persists. You see, there's a little word play that's happening in this conversation. The same Greek word that means from above also means again. So you've had a conversation before where you thought you were talking about one thing and the other person thought you were talking about another thing and you just didn't connect. That may be what's happening here, but Nicodemus isn't humble enough to back off from his position. So as Jesus tells Nicodemus that he needs to be born from above, from God, born of water and of the Holy Spirit, Nicodemus hears Jesus saying that he needs to be born again. And he argues the point. He's already been born, obviously. He can't go back to his mother's womb. He says, you can't do this twice, Jesus. How can anyone be born after they've grown old? I don't need to be born again. You do, says Jesus. You don't already know. You're not finished. You, Nicodemus, are supposedly a teacher of Israel, but you need to have your life recreated. You think your faith is mature, but faith is not drawing attention to the answers you have. It is opening yourself to a life of being filled and made new in the Spirit. Now, last Sunday was Pentecost, the day when the church was born, so to speak, by the movement of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit moved among people who would never even have known each other, who would never have received the gospel message if they haven't been brought to life and called together by that divine power. 
today, just one week later, is Trinity Sunday on the liturgical calendar, and we hear Jesus teaching Nicodemus that his own knowledge is not enough for a life of faith. He needs to be born from above, not literally reborn as a baby, but to become a new creation, not a person who stands on the certainty of what he knows, but a person who knows only that he lives in deep need, in need of the Trinity, in need of God who loves, in need of Jesus who came to save, not just you or me or Nicodemus or people with signs at football games or magnets on their cars, but the whole world in need of the Holy Spirit that moves where it chooses and has the power to change. At Pentecost, that spirit made strangers into a community. It brought Nicodemus out of darkness into Christ's light. In us, that spirit can create something new too. This call, this call to be born from above, that is the context of John 3.16. It isn't a status marker of mature Christians. It's the foundation of Jesus' call to be turned inside out and upside down by our faith in a God who loves the world so much that he came here to save it. Now I want to pause for a moment and check in. For two weeks now, we've been talking about the Holy Spirit, and now today, Jesus is breaking down the certainty of a teacher who needs to be reborn. This is a lot for Presbyterians to take in. That's funny, guys. Come on. (laughs) We're not usually ones to talk too much about being born again and that holy mystery of the Spirit. It's pretty mysterious to us. So I found a joke. I don't really like Presbyterian jokes much, if I'm honest. The ones about the frozen chosen and being obsessed with decency and order, I actually don't usually like them. But this one seems sort of true. You might be a Presbyterian if, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you in power, you don't raise your hands and shout hallelujah. Rather, you scratch your chin, turn to your neighbor, and whisper discreetly, hmm, that was a good point. See, it's just so true that we're uncomfortable. (laughs) Our tradition prizes education and understanding. We stand on God's word. We seek to deepen our faith through study. So this is sort of new territory, hearing our teacher telling us not to rely on what we think we know, but to look to the spirit for a new birth. This isn't to say that we shouldn't study and seek God's word. On the contrary, the central message of John's gospel is that our faith requires more than a superficial profession. But the call to be born from above, born in the spirit, it's hard to get your mind around if you're accustomed to looking for answers and building a faith on them. For many of us, thoughtful people, discerning people, it would be easier to think that faith is a matter of gathering information. 
It would give us a more tangible goal if we could just move towards some threshold of understanding and then sit comfortably inside some circle and feel good about what Jesus did. Then we could put a label or a bracelet or a sticker on ourselves, but faith isn't an achievement test. It isn't a matter of coming to Jesus to show what we've learned or saying to the world that we, maybe we inside the church, or we who know what 3 colon 16 stands for, saying that we have it figured out. This call is something else altogether, this call to open ourselves to new lives in the spirit. What does it mean for us in a tradition that studies and learns to be open to new birth from above? What does it mean for this congregation to confess that we, well-established, deeply respected, well-resourced, a leader in our community, that we don't have all the answers, that we aren't here to tell others what to do? What if we make it clear to our community and the world that we're over here in the heart of Midtown still needing God? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to change us, to call us back together, to give us a new birth. There are plenty of people in our culture who claim knowledge and certainty, and some of them have very public platforms and very loud microphones. There are people who profess to know who's inside a circle and who's out, and they're quick to let you know where they think you fall. There are plenty saying in different ways, listen to what I know, look at me. These aren't just messages from signs at football games. There's a whole economy of certainty and of rightness. There's a battle going on in our country for who is right about matters of faith, who speaks for Christians. A group, group of clergy has even begun an effort to reclaim the name of Jesus because the name of Jesus is being used to justify all sorts of actions and decisions. But as we read this essential lesson from God's word, we're reminded that human beings do not have all knowledge. We do not draw a circle with us and Jesus on the inside. We have nothing to lord over another. We do not know. We are not finished. We need to be born in the spirit of the God who loved the world so much that he came to save it. In these tense times, when language of faith, even the name of our Lord and Savior, is thrown around by a lot of people who insist on their own rightness, let us test their words against those of Jesus Christ. Let us have the courage to open ourselves to the Holy Spirit, believing that we are being made into a new creation even now. It might, no, it should change us. It should mean that we live as different people, that our congregation models something different from insistence on our own beliefs. But it will also mean that we are born from above. 
let us pray today and every day. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Amen.
Give him the glory. Great things he has done. Amen? Friends, go from this place open to the power and the movement of the Holy Spirit to make you into a new creation for the sake of the gospel and the sake of the world. And as you go, may the grace, peace, and love of our Lord Jesus Christ guard your hearts and your minds in him today and forever. Amen. Amen.